When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the New Books Network. Confounding, exhilarating, and contagious. Emotions matter, and so does applying emotional intelligence. Welcome to Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight, the podcast where emotions rule. Whatever the topic, how do hearts and minds collide? Find out with your host, a college professor turned globetrotting EQ entrepreneur. His mission? Each week, Dan joins prominent authors in decoding how emotions drive outcomes and make people tick. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the 125th episode. I'm going to start that over. Hello, and thank you for joining me for the 125th episode of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's topic is why empathy isn't enough. I'm joined by Bacha Mesquita. She is the author of Between Us, How Cultures Create Emotions. The publisher is W.W. Norton and Company. Bacha is a social psychologist, an effective scientist, and a pioneer of cultural psychology. She's a distinguished professor of psychology at the University of Leuven in Belgium. She is from a Dutch-Jewish family with parents who survived the Holocaust in hiding. She's also lived in Italy, Bosnia, and the U.S., where she did her postdoctoral work at the University of Michigan. Welcome to the show, Bacha. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me. I very much look forward to the conversation, and let's uh, jump right in. Uh, give us a brief overview of the book, if you don't mind. That's a big question, but the, <laughs> the big, it took me uh, almost 300 pages. But I think the, the big overview is we, um, we sometimes, you know, in, often people think that emotions are universal, that there are a few basic emotions, that we don't have to do any translation. I mean, maybe translation of the words. And what the book says is, no, um, our emotions are very much cultured. Our emotions as, is, are as cultures as, as our languages, as our food is, as our clothes are. And so we have to really look into um, 
other cultures or people from other cultures' emotions to understand them. And maybe referring to your to your introduction, um, it's not enough to just imagine what you would feel if you were in circumstances like the one you observe. You have to really figure out what somebody else is feeling, doing, what it means, what is happening, um, all of those things. So, so that's a that's a very short introduction to the a very short overview of the book, mostly its conclusions. Okay, there's a there's a term I think we probably should introduce rather quickly for listeners. Uh, you uh, use the acronym Weird. What what does Weird refer to, and what are the implications of that term? Yeah, Weird is not a, an acronym that I came up with, but it stands for Western Educated Industrialized Rich and Democratic Countries, um, and it's we a lot of the research that has been done in psychology um, and a lot of psychologists um, are from weird cultures. So um, what I'm saying in the book is that a lot of the knowledge that we have is actually good knowledge, but for, for a very narrow slice of the world population, uh, namely for the, for the weird cultures. Which would also include maybe a tilt toward anglicized. Is that possible as well that there's a, element of, I guess I'll call it emotional imperialism, although I think that's a term you actually used in the book at one point, just in passing. Um, so, so that's part of my question, but also I think it seems important to lay out that you are making a very important distinction between what you would say is inside out or kind of a mine approach versus the outside in and our approach. Yeah, um, so I'm, I'm, not even, I'm not even certain that all weird cultures have the same emotions. In the book, I, I explain how how confused I was when I even uh, moved to the United States. So, so that's not, but, but I think, um, I think there are much larger uh, differences and I do uh, talk about mine emotions and ours emotions. And those are acronyms that I came up with. Mine emotions are emotions that are, that focus on mental feelings, insights, uh, the person and and essences, and it's it's really when we think about, you know, a- anger and sadness and happiness, living inside you, inside the mind, um, and always being the same. I I mention in the in the book uh, the movie Inside Out, where um, there are even little characters that are that live in the protagonist head. That I think is the quintessence of um, of the mind model that that you have these emotions that get activated and that are inside you and make you feel in a certain way. Ours emotions is actually the an ours model is the model that most cultures outside of weird cultures have of emotions, and there's much more focus on what is outside a person or between people. Um, So hence the title of my book, Between Us. Um, It's much more, it much more looks at emotions as between people and relational actions. So uh, it looks, for example, at an emotion like anger as what, what does anger do towards another person? And, and this is actually not so hard to imagine, even in a Western culture, what anger does in many cases, is um, draw boundaries and and tell another person or or another group 
that what they're doing is unacceptable. So I think anger, you know, anger does something even in Western cultures, but there are more, there are other cultures that, um, that have more focus on what emotions do. And then the last part of um, the hours model is the S of situated. And it really has the idea that what an emotion looks like, feels like, um, is very much dependent on what the situation requires, what other people expect it to be, um, how how it should be uh, expressed, or or you know how you should behave in that particular circumstance. Um, so, what I'm saying in the book is there are cultures that mostly uh, look at emotions uh, through the lens of a mind model. And I think many weird cultures um, are among them. And then there are cultures that mostly look at emotions through uh, the lens of an hours model. Um, And a lot of of other countries in the world um, do that. Um, I also say in the book that in reality, I think if there is such a thing, that everybody has, you know, everybody's emotions have mine and ours aspects. I think that even if we mostly focus on our feelings inside us, we can, without much effort, recognize that that emotions do things, right? Anger, anger does what I just described, and shame does withdraw and submit you to norms and to other people. And So it's not so hard, even if you're mostly focused on mind emotions, to recognize there's an hours part. And I would would say the other way around, too. Even if hours aspects of emotions are most important in your culture, um, people will recognize that emotions come with feelings. That's not the point. So that uh, that is a long answer um, in response to your question about inside out and outside in. So, um, well, it, it, yeah, it seems so fundamental to the book that I wanted to make sure you could give an answer and a long one's perfectly fine by me. Um, so really it sounds like the R's is very much, you know, there's, there's cultural norms, there's situations, there's relationships. It's, it's a much richer emphasis on context. Yeah. I also say in the book, there is absolutely more emphasis on context. I also say in the book that, I think that this hours perspective um, would benefit us too. That thinking about our emotions as uh, how are they related to our position, the relationship that we are in, um, our culture um, would actually benefit our understanding. So, in in uh, again in in Western science even, but also in in Western dialogue about emotions. People often focus on um, on the insight, and neuroscientists go more and more uh, or delve deeper and deeper into the insights. But what I what I argue in the book is that we also need to understand our outsides in order to uh, understand why we have emotions, what we have emotions for, and what it does in our relationships and in society. Um, yeah, no, I, I like that focus very much. I mean, I, I'm you know a student of history and uh, appreciator of, of culture, high culture and popular culture in various settings. This is a bit of an aside; it didn't come up in the book, but uh, since you studied at the University of Michigan, um, 
just across the border, uh, Quebec versus Ontario, French-speaking Canada versus English-speaking Canada. Did you ever, by chance, uh, delve into uh, differences there? I didn't. I mean, I've been uh, I've been there, but I didn't <laughs> I didn't study differences <laughs> between French-speaking and and English-speaking Canadians. Well, that that's quite all right. Just was curious. So let's go back to you mentioned Inside Out, and as you may know, an advisor for that movie. Uh, was Paul Ekman, mm-hmm. and and I know Paul fairly well. Although the introduction strangely came from another fr- uh, person, a friend of mine, Andrew Ortoni, mm-hmm. who's now a retired professor emeritus of psychology from Northwestern University. So many years ago, back in 1990, in fact, uh, uh, Andrew wrote an essay called uh, "What Is It." Uh, what's basic about basic emotions right. and, and really threw doubt on that. And I found a recent article where he says, are you sure what emotions, you know, what emotions are in fact. So if you didn't mind, I want to do it all in the context of your book, but uh, Andrew's throwing out, uh, you know, questions about how we even arrive at a definition of emotions and he makes a preliminary stab at it. And I'm just curious what might be your perspective vis-a-vis your, your book, so he's arguing for three things. One, that emotions need to be valenced, either positive or negative. So he throws out surprise, that they should be about something. He mentions objects, but I think relationships and cultural norms would be of interest. And then he also says that they need to be states of which we are conscious. And I wonder on any of or all three of those uh, stipulations what your perspective might be. Yeah, I don't... So what I would say is that um, about the the first, uh, I'm just I'm just um, so valence object object. And what was the third? Sorry. Uh, oh, the third one is that they need to be conscious oh, states okay. of conscious. Yeah. Um. You know, I think <laughs> I am. I am not a big stigler for definitions. I think definitions are anything you agree that a thing is, right? I don't think I don't think emotions are things in the world. I think emotions are things as we categorize them. And and what I try to say with the mine and ours perspective on emotion is that people in the world categorize them differently. Um, sure. but having having said that, and so I'm also not sure that we're talking about one psychological mechanism per se. But having said that, I think that I think emotions are about we talk about emotions in many cultures of the world. We talk about emotions, or we, we uh, recognize thing, um, episodes as emotional. When something happens that is out of the ordinary and that requires us to adjust. Um, now, out of the ordinary is often that it's particularly good or particularly bad for you or for your goals or for your values or for the expectations, cultural expectations in the world. So in most cases, that means that it's positive or negative, and, and that is when it's when it's important in a positive and a negative way. I would probably disagree with Andrew or Tony that um, that uh, something that you don't know yet cannot be an emotion, just because I think the the most important the the. Uh, the distinguishing 
property is that it's out of the ordinary and needs um, the organism or the person to adjust to an out of the ordinary event. So I would say surprise fits that definition. But, you know, once again, if you think that emotions should only be positive or negative, that's a definition. Um, the second one is an object. Um, I, um, well, you know, an object is a, an object, I think it's often about a relationship to an object. So I think that people have emotions, um, that, um, that basically define or categorize or make meaning of their position in the world, um, now, that includes often others or, you know, possibly p- aspects of the of the environment, if you want. Yeah, and, and I would I would jump in there and maybe help you a bit because Andrew also says it's about, you know, the emotions about something and right. that something can be very much cultural, relational, etc. Right, right, exactly. So if that's what you mean, I mean, an object um, is, you know, it has has the potential of being confused with um, just a thing. And I think it's often more than a thing. It's often an event, an episode, a relationship. But that it's ab- the aboutness of emotions I would agree with, um, that, that's, that that's a characteristic. Um, and then conscious... I mean, you're making meaning. There are different there are different ways of being conscious. Um, that I'm not really sure what uh, there are different kinds of consciousness. I don't think you need to be aware of your feeling. I think you need to be aware of the meaning you give about what he would call an object, or the meaning you would give to. The, the state of the world and your position to it. Um, sure. and, and, to put my, and to put my own card on the table there, I, w- I would admit to you that I have some problem with the notion of conscious because I think human beings are often not aware of things or semi-aware of things or seek to deny <laughs> their awareness of how they feel at times. And I think that really leads into, uh, and I thought this was a very valuable part of the book when you're talking about unpacking emotional episodes. Can you maybe speak to that? And if you want to say some more about consciousness, by all means. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I think you're, I mean, what, what I, what I think emotions refer to is an event that, you know, as I said, that is important to you and that you give meaning and then, um, an idea about how to deal with that event, uh, an, an action goal, something that, you know, that you want to do to relate to that event, and then possibly a um, an act. But also, I think emotions often happen in the context of relationships or interactions. So often when we talk about emotional episodes, actually other people are involved. So other people contribute. If when I'm angry, I'm, I'm almost never angry. I can be angry by myself in front of the TV, but the most common, the more common uh, way of being angry is towards somebody who responds and who either um, submits to my anger or yields to it, or who, who contests my anger and challenges it and says, how, how come you're angry? You are not in a position to be angry or I am the one to be angry. And so what I'm saying is that that episode together is what we call anger. 
And that if you um, if you look at, and this is what I say about um, beyond empathy, when I try to understand an emotion of somebody in another culture, I want to look at all those parts of the emotional episode. So I want to look at what is at stake? How is that at stake? Um, how does the person give meaning? Um, what do they do? What do they try to do? And how do others in the environment uh, respond to that? And how they respond to that also has to do with um, the valence of the emotion. And this is maybe something to be explained, is um, emotions feel a certain way in the sense of, you know, anger is probably in itself not a pleasant emotion. But um, often in weird cultures, anger is actually not not a pleasant emotion, but a good emotion, something that um, makes you assertive, um, that makes you an agentic person. Now, that's not true in all cultures. And I think the responses of other people and the own the, the moral value of, of that emotion, um, all the things that determine how the emotion evolves uh, may actually be very uh, different across cultures. So when I say unpack the episode... I mean that you can't assume that any of those parts of the emotion are the same across cultures and that if you want to know what it feels like um, to be in another person's shoes, you shouldn't project your own feelings in that situation, but you should actually unpack what is at stake, what emotion is this person having, what does that emotion mean socially and culturally, how are other people uh, responding or projected to respond, and so what is the what is the script, so to say, uh, of the emotion? Um, also, social consequences. You know, is it is it a, is 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 it rewarded or or punished? Is this uh, an emotion that elevates your position or that that pulls you down? All of those are culturally um, different. Sure. And, and one of the tools, I mean, there's the unpacking of the episodes. You also had something where you have a, a questionnaire, an emotional or emotion profile questionnaire that you that you run. Um, can you talk a bit more about that and how that helps you explore and understand the dynamics involved? Yeah. So we have um, we've used the emotion uh, profile. We have we have used it to. Uh, you know, we ask people to tell us about certain uh, types of, of situations and and uh, we look at not just are they angry, but are they angry and how much anger do they have? How much shame? How sad are they? How happy? And so it's a way of approximating uh, all the different facets of, of the feeling or the emotion. And um, what we find, first of all, is that that profiles within a culture are much more correlated than profiles across cultures. So, in other words, their their norm, their cultural norms of of these emotion profiles. Also, when you look at migrant groups or um, immigrants and and immigrant descent uh, minorities, you find that not only are they in the first two generations are they further away from the from the majority uh, profile than our majority. Uh, majority people, but we also find that um, contact with the majority predicts how close they are. So we find, for example, that people who have a lot of majority, minority people who have a lot of majority friends are closer to the majority profile 
um, in similar situations. We also find, by the way, um, that uh, getting closer or having more fit to the majority profile uh, does not need to go at the expense of fit with the heritage or the immigrant uh, culture. So there, it's not to say that there needs to be assimilation. But So this is one of the ways in which we try to approach um, what kind of feelings people have naturally, what kind of emotions they experience naturally is by having them um, check or, or uh, rate a, a profile uh, in a particular situation. It's only one in which we measure emotions, but it certainly is, a, is something that's telling us, uh, it's a, certainly a method that's telling us something about uh, emotional acculturation. Sure. No, which I've, I found a really fascinating part of the book. Uh, before we conclude the, the interview, I guess I'll give you a couple of options here. Maybe you want to take both. Uh, I'd want to give you an opportunity to cover anything in the book that you wanted to bring into this conversation, but hadn't had the opportunity and or I'd be curious what you're, you're working on next. So what I haven't uh, talked about much uh, here is, is about child rearing. I think this is one of the domains where people are most surprised in that um, we find that what parents find important in socializing their kids is not uh, that their kids feel good across all cultures, um, feeling and, and also not that love is the most important parental uh, emotion. We find that in many uh, this different historical area, eras, but also in many cultures, love was not so, so central and uh, kids feeling good about themselves is actually not the most important. And for example, um, there's a lot of research with um, Taiwanese and Chinese um, children. And there it's really important that kids um, don't feel too good about themselves, but actually feel shame and know their proper place in the hierarchy. So I think that's a surprising thing for um, people. Love is also a very modern invention. So, so that whole area of child rearing, I think we need to be aware that what we raise our children to be is really the kind of people that we want in our society, uh, which is independent, agentic uh, by themselves. What I'm working on next uh, is, first of all, um, a continuation of the, the profile um, part that I was talking about is what, how do we move between cultures? Um, what does that, what does that do to our uh, emotions? Do and, and under what circumstances? So do we acquire several, um, the emotions of several cultures? Do they coexist? Do we switch between cultures? Do we get um, a blend? Um, I'm also really interested on which of those options is the best and under what circumstances. And I'm really interested in how can we bridge, if, if it's true that we do our emotions differently, how can we bridge that gap? How can we uh, communicate with each other, try to understand each other without maybe adopting each other's emotions, but still understanding um, where we come from emotionally? And so all of, all of those questions are, are driving my current research. No, I, I think that's fascinating. I mean, it, it speaks to all the complexities involved in your statement. Having the emotions that make you part of your culture 
But of course, increasingly we are bridging cultures. We're in subcultures, um, all, all of the above and more. So um, fascinating stuff. So I, I want to thank you so much. This has been episode 125. My guest, Bacha Mesquita, she is the author of Between Us, How Cultures Create Emotions. If you've enjoyed today's show, please give it a rating or review on iTunes. Finally, I'd like to conclude every episode with an epigram. In this case, I took one from the novelist Nicholas Sparks, who said, the emotion that can break your heart is sometimes the very one that heals it. Until next time, take care and be well. Thank you.